So during Easter, I went back, and my dad never talks about the podcast. If he listens to it, good, I appreciate that. If not, it is what it is. <laughs> but the first thing I think he says as we get back from being at my grandparents' place, how'd you get that guy on your podcast? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, yeah, is it Boo Boo Stewart? <laughs> And I had to look at him and go, no, it was, it was yeah, the Fools. No, no, I got he goes, like, what? I, oh, oh, oh. And yeah. I was like, that's the one time I think we've ever had a conversation <laughs> about the podcast since it started. And it's because of the April Fools. Yeah, yeah but I, I, got, I got three or four people in my DMs asking about it. They were like, oh my gosh, does he talk about Twilight? I'm like, yeah, I guess you'll just have to click the link and find out. And uh, I even had a friend, yeah, who in person asked me. He was like, dude, that's pretty... We've never talked about the podcast. Same situation. He's like, dude, that's pretty crazy. And he's asking me all these questions about Boo Boo Stewart. And I'm like, well, did you watch the or did you listen to the episode? And he's like, well, no. <laughs> like, did you see when it was uploaded? He I, goes, uh, a couple days ago. I gotta, I gotta say, a truly odd trilogy is Andy Carr's design is my passion trilogy with the <laughs> two Snyder ones oh, that yeah. you did that are honestly my favorite. I still love the Zack Snyder translucently with his eyes <laughs> over the logo yeah. of BVS. And then the Boo Boo Stewart who actually tricked people. <laughs> Which we weren't trying to trick anybody in a malicious way. Obviously it was uh, an April Fool's yeah. joke. It was, a, it was an insight. It was a reference. Yeah. You know, a it's fun, a fun little Easter egg yeah. joke. And it's wonderful. We do want him on the show. Make yeah. it very clear. The Boo Boo Stewart jokes are not going away. I will nor are the desperate cries for him to come on. If he tomorrow says, I would love to be on the podcast, we will push the descendants to the top of the <laughs> list almost immediately. Yes. And then he might cancel. But hopefully we get him some yeah. time in, in the future. I would I would love to have him on. But yeah, I mean gosh, it's it's been weird to see Godzilla versus Kong's like bringing back the theater. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't really expect that. I didn't expect that with this trilogy. I mean, I expected to enjoy the film, people to enjoy it, probably enjoy it more than King of the Monsters, and then just kind of not have a conversation. Yeah. And then now it's become the conversation. Right. Because it's like, yeah, it's, it's beaten, It's I mean, of course, it's the highest watched thing on HBO Max right now. Yeah, well, and even in like box office overseas, where people are actually going to movie theaters, it's doing pretty impressive numbers i'm pretty sure highest box office numbers since the start of the pandemic yeah well we saw it in theater the second time we saw it we saw it in right, theaters right. and it was it seemed fairly packed yeah pretty busy i mean more more busy than i would nest than i would have expected but you know in other countries they're they've been in a better place for months already for and sure so yeah they're, they're definitely oh, yeah. packing in probably more than we are oh for sure but now that we're finally getting some vaccinations, maybe we'll, mm-hmm. you know, see more people flocking to theaters. It, it just means that I can't wait for Cruella to just fully bring us back. Yeah, you know, that's... Into. When that movie releases, that's when you know cinema is back. I can't wait for everyone to get tattoos and shirts <laughs> of I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar. Yeah. The, that that movie might be my Black Panther. <laughs> I don't know yet, but it might. <laughs> I have a strong feeling <laughs> that it will be my mind. Joker didn't quite do it for me. I'm not enough no. of a gamer for Joker. Listen, yes, I, I might. I like dogs. I might be right. a white man, but Joker just didn't hit it the same way that that first Cruella trailer <laughs> yeah. did. 
For some reason, the woman who <laughs> skins puppies or wants to skin puppies. Well, we got to know why she skins puppies. Yeah, we got to have somebody who is just as evil, if not probably not even near as evil. But <laughs> since it's a prequel, it's fine, I guess. Yeah. Oh, my lord. <sighs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> This is Odd Trilogies with Logan and Andy. I'm Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. And in Odd Trilogies, we take a trio of films and we discuss the good, the bad, and the weird surrounding them. And today, we are talking about Legendary's Godzilla Trilogy. In case you were wondering why we are talking about Godzilla vs. Kong in the beginning, not just because it's been getting really good box office numbers, but it ends... This trilogy of Godzilla films that may or may not be the last American Godzilla film we get for a while, maybe. Yeah. So this might be, I mean... Well, and it's a weird thing, because it's kind of felt like each of these Godzilla movies has felt like it could be the last one. That's the most astounding thing about it, too. Because yeah. I remember coming out of Godzilla 2014 and loving it, and then a week later, hearing the discourse that was... Kind of mixed. D- divisive is, yeah. is an understatement, but let's say divisive and thinking like, oh no, are they going to do another one? And then basically after that it was like, well, I think they probably have maybe two or three yeah. in development and then maybe they'll never do another one. <laughs> because yeah, it's it's weird because not only was this the first Godzilla film in, in, in American Godzilla film since... The 98. 98 Emmerich film. Yep. Which, which, which we all love. Which I've never Fans seen. Fans and all casuals alike love 98 Godzilla. There were two types of people growing up with that film. Either you're in Andy's camp where you grew up with it and you probably enjoyed it a lot as a kid and probably yeah. watched it a lot. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't like the movie, but I did. No, as a kid. Now that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah. Or you're like me when you grew up and you only saw like bits and pieces of the original Godzilla films, and then it was like, oh, there's an American one, and then someone goes, yeah, it's not very good, and then I just never watched it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure why I had such an affinity for it as a kid. I, I watched the crap out of that VHS tape, um, and, like, it wasn't something I really watched with my parents or anything. Mm-hmm. I just would put it on loop on, like, Saturday afternoons and just watch the heck out of it. I don't know. It, it does have that vibe of a film. And it seems yeah. like it's kind of gotten a semi-nostalgic resurgence because of that. Yeah. But what's so interesting about this trilogy is, yeah, not only is it the first time an American company does a got does Godzilla in about ooh, less than 20 years. About but, 15 years. About 15. But it's also the first Godzilla film worldwide to be released in the 2010s. Because the last Japanese Godzilla film was Final Wars in 2004. So 10 years after Final Wars, we get a new introduction to the character in this film. And to me, what I always think of when it comes to 2014 Godzilla, I think of, in all honesty, truly the, in my opinion, the best teaser I've ever seen for a film ever. Mm, Which was the 2013 Comic-Con, I believe. I remember that Comic-Con a lot, mainly because, well, one, you know, if you weren't there, most of those clips just were basically trying to get bootlegged, resurface onto the internet, and it was hard to find. Yeah. But the two that I remember that were getting constantly uh, put in the internet and then put down because of copyright and then put <laughs> back up are Guardians of the Galaxy's initial teaser and Godzilla's teaser. Yeah. Because Godzilla's teaser 
uses an Oppenheimer quote. Right. And it ends on, I am Vishnu, the destroyer of worlds, as Godzilla is shown in a dust cloud and screams. And I remember shivering when I saw it initially and went, I need to watch that again. Yeah. There is a note in my phone with a Vimeo link that is just what I put, the only teaser that matters. And I'm pretty sure it's the teaser to that (laughs) film. Because, I mean... That was awesome. Yeah, the Oppenheimer quote. Oof. And it was crazy, too, because it was like, at that time, I have become more of a Godzilla fan over time. And at that time, I think I I just love giant monster shit, just in general. Just kind of the concept. Yeah, similar to, like, superhero stuff, where it's like, it is just a really fun escapism and can also have some good like themes and motives and also just like good messages that can relate to the modern day yeah it's a fun canvas to paint on yeah and nothing's more fun than having a giant radioactive lizard fight (laughs) other monsters just on a basic level and when that film i mean go right into 2014 godzilla i mean it had like a really interesting kind of production because for the longest time we didn't see godzilla fully i mean for the i think it's not until the first real trailer because mm-hmm. there were no stills right there was behind the scenes footage which we now know is like basically the san francisco kind of finale where you see like there was a lot of bts footage like b-roll footage of like elizabeth olsen during like the whole siege in san francisco and right. like but it's not like you're seeing any Godzilla no. in set photos because he wasn't there. Yeah, hilariously enough, the first time I remember seeing Godzilla clearly is, again, the, at, at that Comic-Con, there was an experience where you basically just kind of, like, walked through an empty building, and then the building would, like, shake and shiver, and then, like, there would be some screens that would project Godzilla walking past you, oh. and you would just see its head, and then it would look at you and then keep walking. And it was like the first time <laughs> anyone had seen the new design, because the teaser that I love, as much as I love it, keeps Godzilla under wraps yeah. entirely. There's even a monster in that teaser that doesn't that even show Godzilla. up. Yeah. And so when that first trailer, actual trailer comes out, and you know Godzilla's a thick boy, we don't know what the premise is. Brian Cranston is absolutely just killing it <laughs> in every trailer they use. Yeah, you go into 2014 Godzilla, and Andy, what do you think of the film? <laughs> we'll start with you. Uh, well, I think it's important to preface this trilogy with kind of a probably a key distinction between your and my perspectives. Oh, please do. Um, just because. Uh, you, I mean, I know you said at the time you weren't that crazy into Godzilla. I am still not crazy into Godzilla. I think you're much more of a, a fan, a diehard kind of enthusiast than I am. And I, I don't say that with any disdain for Godzilla no. or for fans of Godzilla. Um, it's just not something, it's not a culture I ever really invested myself sure. in. And so I think I'm coming from these movies from that sort of outside perspective of like, oh, what's this all about? Oh, they've made an American one. Oh, I'll jump in here. Here's mm-hmm. my starting off point. Um, and it was interesting re-watching uh, 2014, as we did just now for the, for this episode, um, because it's, uh, I don't know that I necessarily felt hugely differently about it from my first viewing, because I, I don't think I saw it in theaters. I think I saw it like a year or two later. Um, you didn't see it in theaters? With, I thought you saw it with me in oh, theaters. Oh, did I? I? I don't know. I remember Oof. there was a couple of our friends. We were, I mean, we were all in college at the time, and we all were back in town, I think, for summer uh, break. 
and we had all seen it together. For the, it was like the first time yeah, we'd all. That's right. That would have been right after I graduated. It, yeah, it was probably after you graduated. It was probably school. my <clears throat> freshman year of college had just yeah. ended. Yeah, you were either there or you weren't. I I figured I you might were. Have been. But... I clearly <laughs> did not make as much of an impression on me as I thought it did. Um, but I did. I did. I liked it. I thought it was cool. I think. I think the thing that gets me is this feels to me I, I think the 2014 godzilla has my favorite godzilla stuff of all three of these movies okay okay i don't think the rest of the movie is all that interesting <laughs> okay um, I, I, that. I i honestly on our last viewing was not bored to tears by any means um i mean i know we you know we had a little bit of chatting through it and that yeah, sort of did. thing mm-hmm. and that always helps but um uh it, it was I, I didn't think it was as dry as i'd remembered it but it's also like i'm not I don't still think about those characters and how complex no, yeah. they are. They're definitely there just to kind of mm-hmm. move the story along. Um, but I, I thought it was—I thought it would be more painful than it was. Um, and I still really love every second that Godzilla's on screen in that movie. Oh, absolutely! I think it's phenomenal. I think Gareth Edwards was <laughs> the perfect choice. Yes. To make an American Godzilla film. I, if, if there's anything that I think this time around watching it that I really appreciated was the technical aspects. the Edwards directing, the cinematography, the use of the score. Mm-hmm. Just overall. The, yeah, just the sound sound yeah. in general, sound design and everything mm-hmm. is incredible. Because I do remember in preparation, I think either in preparation or maybe by accident, uh, Gareth Edwards' directorial debut is Monsters. And Monsters is like a low-budget film that has Scoot McNary. It is basically a is a monster film that, similar to 2014 Godzilla, uses the monster sparingly. But mm-hmm. this time it's mainly because of budget. Yeah. And basically uses the majority of the story to kind of build a kind of a romance and relationship between the two leads right. in kind of a in like a monster-infested part, I believe, in South America. It's been a while since I've seen the film. Yeah. I remember enjoying it a lot. But it's very clear that they pick him because it's not that they didn't have enough money, but they knew that they could pick somebody who could clever use the monster sequences cleverly throughout the film. Right, right. And while I think this time around, especially getting away from the controversy of not having enough Godzilla, people complaining and all that stuff right after 2014 had come out, it's fun to watch the movie now and see all the unique and creative ways they introduce monsters into the world. Yeah. I think of, like, the Vegas scene, I think, is one of my favorite parts in the film, mm. where it's basically, like, it introduces the the one of the villains, the Mutos, yeah. which it's... It doesn't help that the Mutos, especially in this film, the Mutos are very much meant to be kind of uninteresting, kind of basic monssters. Yeah. They, they're, they're well designed, but their color palette and their look, it's very clear that they're only there because yeah. they want Godzilla to fight something. Yeah. The thing that always struck me as weird with those was that they almost look, and there's no element of this in the actual story or their origin, but like it, their design looks like they were like man-made or something you know they do. to me they, they look like vibe. robots or spaceships or that is what's you saying. know some sort of like mm-hmm. genetically engineered you know especially later cyborg thing especially later in the series when in king of the monsters you see more titans yeah and, and they kaiju all just monsters. look like animals yeah they but all... then the muto looks like a yeah spaceship. looks like a frankenstein's yeah. monster and it's like oh i guess that's just what it is yeah 
But it, but like in that Las Vegas scene when they introduce, I think it's the female Muto. The I male know. one's the one we meet first. Okay, so it's the female. It's the female one. The yeah. big bulky one who has been hanging out in Nevada. I guess right. the whole time because she eats all that radiation that's in the bunker. Right, right, right. And the first time we see her, you don't see you see the trail that she leaves as she's going into Las Vegas. And the first time you see her fully is on a newscast of someone following the Muto into Las Vegas. And then as you watch the newscast, the the whole power in this casino goes out. And then the female Muto just basically just barges in like one of her feet barge in. Yeah. And it's just very creative. It's just so creative how it uses the monsters. And while I do agree, I mean, I, I think the film is probably the slowest of the three. I think yeah. it drags, it personally, it drags yeah. the most for me. Yeah, it's, it's still an enjoyable film through and through, but I think due to the fact, because I think a lot of people kind of thought that due to the fact that there's less monster time, that's the reason why the film is dragging. And in my opinion, that's not the case. I think in this film, the reason why the film drags so much is because the emotional core of the film is very basic and not that well-defined. Right. Because I think the true biggest issue with this film is Brian Cranston. Not because he's not good enough, but he's too fucking <laughs> he's good. too good, yeah. This man, they used him in the trailers, and to a degree, people thought they were trying to trick, they were trying to trick people to go see this film for Brian Cranston. And he's not the he's not the main he's not the main character in the film. He dies about forty five minutes in, yeah. and yeah. it's basically he is a he is the reason why our real main character, his son Ford, goes on his journey. And yeah. which I, is go ahead. No, I mean it's it's just very interesting to see like everyone in this film is giving the best that they're given. I don't think Aaron Taylor Johnson's bad in this movie, but I do think he is not that interesting. Yeah. Because they don't write a lot for him to do. Elizabeth Olsen's doing way too much work for so much little she's given, and I <laughs> applaud her for that. Ken Watanabe is absolutely wonderful as Sarazawa, and you can't I can't think of anyone else who would have hit the same emotional feeling that he does when he talks about monsters and when he talks about the world and very optimistic kind of vibe in terms of a Titan human kind of relationship. <laughs> yeah. But Cranston is just so good in his forty to forty five minutes that he's in the film. That it's hard not to feel like the loss is big. Yeah, well, he's, I mean, it also, I think, doesn't help beyond Brian Cranston's performance, which is great and stands in contrast to just kind of the the more understated performances of everyone else. I think almost the bigger issue is that you establish, like, your most likable and emotional and, uh, you know, driven character... And you're focused on them for 45 minutes, mm -hmm. and then they're gone, and it's like by that point you've only got just over an hour to make your other characters interesting, and you haven't done that so far, so now you've got to start, and you're way behind. It's it's just phenomenally wild that the film has two phenomenal actors in the beginning of the film, French actress Juliette Binoche yeah. and Brian Cranston, who are both had phenomenal careers and have been in phenomenal in other films, but strangely enough, Julia Binoche dies in like the first 10 to 15 minutes and Cranston dies in the in the 40, 45. yeah, first 45. And it's like, there's, there are points where it's like this time around, I was like, you can make Ford work. You have to give him more to do. You have to let him emote more, actually be more of an emotional character. But man, it would be kind of cool to see how you could bring Cranston back. 
to a degree. I mean, <laughs> it's interesting because I, I get why they use Ford. Because Brian Cranston would not be on the front lines. He would be with Sarazawa. He's right, not a right. soldier. His son's a soldier, so it's an interesting yeah. aspect of being like, what if you were a soldier during a kaiju battle? Yeah. It's a cool idea, and I think it could work a lot better if Ford was an actual human being. Yeah, well, and I think they could have benefited. I mean, I think Ford himself could have benefited if you'd kept Brian Cranston around, and then you'd have kind of this... You know, and they're communicating the whole movie with Ford yeah. on the front line. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't even remember Brian Cranston's character's name. But, um, you know, him back at the lab or, you know, observing from a helicopter or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you also keep that drama alive between them because, you know, we get like one scene where there's, there's some contention between father and son about mm-hmm. how, you know, Brian Cranston handled the whole disaster and... How he kind of wasn't there for his kids as they were, or for Ford as he was growing up, and mm-hmm. all this sort of thing. And there's there's clearly a lot of tension there. They kind of address it in like one scene, and then a few minutes later, Brian Cranston is dead. And it's like, well, if you wanted yeah. to make Ford a human being, stretch that drama out over the rest of the movie. Give yeah. the give them an arc together mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, I'm not the type of person who thinks that a performance is automatically better if someone's yelling or if someone's <laughs> over emoting. But I do feel like Aaron Taylor Johnson, who I've seen emote and do really well in roles, he should have been able to be angrier or at least show some more anger. Because most of those scenes, he just looks annoyed and disappointed, which makes sense. But at the same time, it's like, this is your father, who you love, who is now just a crackpot who just lives in Japan by himself (laughs) and just angrily yells Japanese at people when they don't give him what he wants. (laughs) Maybe you should have more of a issue with the fact that you have a son who wants to meet his grandfather and you're embarrassed of your father, but you also still love him and want to help him grow. Yeah. Oh, he's dead now. <laughs> and it's like... Right. It's it, like they planted all those seeds for potentially mm-hmm. a relationship between the two of them and then yeah. just didn't use it. I mean, for me, I, I mean, I'll bring up what you said earlier. And it's like, I am a bigger Godzilla fan to a degree, but at the same time... I mean, according to Reddit, I'm not a big enough Godzilla fan because I don't <laughs> well, have enough action figures. Well, okay, which Our is standard not, cannot always no, be Reddit. No, of okay. course, but at the same Only time, most of the time, I think to me the reason why I love Godzilla so much is because Godzilla has been around for at when we hit 2024 has been around for 70 years yeah. as a as a franchise and has been through so much of an evolution. In such a long time that for me, I just love film history and Godzilla is such an interesting historical note especially for japan yeah well in a constant yeah it's like god's the first godzilla film is a film just damning the use of atomic weapons and how it hurts the communities and how it leads to death and destruction and misery and just it is a film that uses the giant radioactive lizard in a way that even now when i watched it it still hits hard Mm mm-hmm like, it's kind of astounding how good that movie still is, that original. And from that point forward, it was just fun to watch it devolve into something else or turn into, find a new place that it works a lot better in. Because yeah. what's so interesting, too, about Godzilla is, of course, in nearly 70 years, there are so many different versions of how a Godzilla film can be good <laughs> or bad or yeah. great or awful. And it's been very interesting just to see, especially rewatch these films and be like, I don't think any of these Godzilla films are bad. I think they're all pretty consistently in the same kind of 
realm of quality, in my opinion. Mm. But I also think all three of them like dip into a different type of thing with Godzilla that is so interesting. Where it's like with this one, it's trying to be the serious, almost political look at a kaiju. Like they they basically make it feel like a natural disaster. Yeah. Because it is. I mean, right. they, they treat Godzilla like showing up as well as Godzilla's not trying to hurt anybody. Godzilla is flooding Hawaii. He's destroying buildings. <laughs> He's trying to kill these monsters, but also at the cost of destroying these cities. And it feels very much like, of course, with no surprise, by the time we get to Godzilla versus Kong, it seems like no one cares at that point how many buildings are destroyed <laughs> in classic Godzilla fashion. And it's very interesting to watch 2014 and see what it's trying to do, but also realize, sadly, it falls short because of that emotional kind of core not being strong enough. Yeah, well, it's and like if you're going to play it super serious, then you've got to make that you know seriousness mm-hmm. compelling, and you've got to you know mm-hmm. fill that out. It's arguably you know easier to make a breezy fun dumb action movie yeah and make that work without putting a bunch into the into the you know the heart and the story which we kind of see with godzilla yeah. versus kong later you know that one's mostly mm-hmm. above the surface kind of fluff and it's fun and it's a good yeah. time and honestly maybe a better time than godzilla 2014 it is um but, but i don't think it's as i don't think it's as good mainly because of how it treats its monsters yeah it's it certainly loses well mm-hmm. and that's something We'll get into more as we talk more about King of the Monsters. Yes. But that you kind of the the kind of reverence for these monsters and the mm-hmm. the perspective of them as kind of gods on earth and yeah. these ancient, you know, all powerful beings that are so far above us is kind of diminished by the end of this trilogy. For sure. <laughs> Which again is 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 a Godzilla thing. It yeah. happens so much yeah, in Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was very interesting in the original series being like when we, when my roommate Adam and I, I mean, our friend Adam and when we watched it, the first Godzilla film, like, oh my God, this is like sad and it's intense. And like, how are they going to top that with the sequel? And then the sequel just completely diminishes any kind of like. <laughs> tension yeah it just goes there's another godzilla we just didn't know and it's like well now i know what type of series this is (laughs) and there's just such a fluctuating quality of all the films to a point where it's like what someone thinks is a quality godzilla film can be entirely different to 10 other people yeah and that's why with 2014 it is not surprising looking back now that critically people enjoyed this because they were like oh my god it's like People probably knew, like, critics were probably like, oh, this is kind of trying to be the vibe of, like, old-school Godzilla, like, black and white. Mm -hmm. Cool. Like, oh, that's kind of interesting. And then fans really weren't into it, or at least, like, audiences weren't, because they're like, this isn't goofy and dumb. Like, why isn't there more monster fighting? Where's the monster stuff? Where's the silly stuff? Like, Godzilla's silly. And hilariously, neither are wrong. Both are Godzilla. Yeah. It's the it's the conundrum with situations like this. You have to wonder though, like how anybody watched any trailers or promotions for this the twenty fourteen film and thought yeah. it would be goofy and dumb and yeah. silly. Well I will say <laughs> I think it's very much playing up that sort of the drama for of sure, Godzilla yes. and I will still say I think the funniest out of out of just nowhere scene in this film is the finale with the news that says Godzilla 
savior of the world <laughs> or savior of us and it's yeah, like savior of the city and it's like there's no way even if it killed those two monsters it's still a giant monster in the right. middle of san francisco well and it's funny because the whole movie is about that and about the fact that like you know this thing is not a good guy or a bad guy it's doing its thing it tries to bring balance to the world when things yeah. are not in balance they're, they're just they they hit on that multiple times so it's yeah. just that's a, such a goofy thing at the end for it to be like wait are we really gonna mm-hmm. act like that's how people would respond to this yeah the film has there's just a lot of moments in this film where it's like there's there's scenes that give me shivers because i love what they're trying to do with godzilla where i love the scene where they show the the initial bombings of, with godzilla where instead of it being in the original film godzilla was a was awakened by nuclear testing yeah. and whatnot in this version godzilla was just around they yeah. tried to blow him up and they couldn't kill him with atomic yeah. weapons because obviously he's an atomic lizard. He's just going to suck that shit up. And I love the fact that they do play it off as like he is not a byproduct of World War II, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He is just a titan that was just always awoken, <laughs> was basically awoken, I think, by yeah. those things. And it's like that's a cool idea to do Godzilla that way and to make him a force of nature that could ultimately be good or bad depending on the scenario which yeah. in the series we see is how it happens because yeah. he's a good guy in, in king of the monsters and he's technically an antagonist in godzilla versus kong compared yeah. to kong but then there's another scene where it's just like it kind of just drags on or lingers and it's like cool sweet okay where are we going oh we're in hawaii <laughs> now cool sweet he's on a train where are the monsters at? Yeah. And then, like, you see the monsters. The way that the monsters... I I love how the monsters are used in this film. I have no issue with how much the monsters are used. Yeah. I have no issue with the screen time of them. I think every time they're used, it has a purpose. Right. And they feel scary as shit. Yeah. Like, that one time... Like, basically, when the tram wakes up in Hawaii after, like, the, the electrical surge, and then there's just a monster... There's just a Muto <laughs> at the end of the tracks. It's yeah. like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Or Godzilla's fat feet just coming into frame the in the airport. Yeah. Like, all that shit works. Again, it's the human aspect. And I think a lot of people, especially during... I mean, Godzilla vs. Kong has brought this conversation up again. Yeah. People assume that the reason why these movies are bad, per se, is always because that there are human elements to these films. Yeah. Well, the, and that's not the case. Yeah, the conversation always ends up boiling down to, oh, we need more monster, less human. No. And, like, it's not that simple that could be an element of it but it really depends on how you're doing both the monster element and the human element you know if you're gonna have a lot of human and not a lot of monster the human part's got to be good and compelling and interesting and meaningful to the monster part and yeah it should really all help each other and for sure yeah so it's it's kind of i do find that frustrating in the discourse online mm -hmm. of like yeah, it's just people who defend the, the people who are criticizing these movies are always just like, oh, we need yeah. more monsters. And it's like, really, if you look back through the like Godzilla filmography, Godzilla's not taken up most of the runtime in most of these movies. No, I mean, um, he's some of them got like 20 to 15 to 30 minutes in all of yeah. them, and the rest is human stuff. And it's like, the problem is not the amount. No, it's, it's how you use it. The, the main issue is how it's written, but also. How do the human elements tie into yeah, Godzilla's part? it should part? all be working together. Because I do think one of the best parts in 2014 is the fact that there is a there is a mission that is coinciding at the same time as Godzilla's final fight in San Francisco, where there is a bomb just in the middle of San Francisco, and they need to get it out. 
Right. They didn't want it to be in the middle of San Francisco, but Amuto yeah. took it and ate it. <laughs> it was so a they, bomb they yeah. meant for yeah. these monsters, and it ended up getting derailed. Yeah, so Wayne from Letterkenny and fucking Kick-Ass and yeah. all these like Marines have to go in. Bomb defusal squad. They go in there. They have to get it. At the same time this is happening, Godzilla's keeping the Mutos busy so they can go do this. What inadvertently, like, so they can go do this. Like, right. it's not, it's not like Godzilla knows this is happening at the same time, but narratively it works smoothly because it's while these monsters are keeping busy, this mission can go smoothly. Yeah. And that's like a good part of it. It's just the emotional core. Yeah. Like the best movies. I mean, my favorite films in the Godzilla series, I have not watched all of them yet. Still need to watch Hesai and Millennium again, but those films are the best when the human elements are interesting or just at least fun. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite Godzilla films is literally just a bunch of people, like, a guy doesn't know where his brother was at, he was on, like, a fisherman's ship, <laughs> and he basically steals a ship, three other guys are on that ship, and then they get stuck on an island with, like, a bunch of evil, like, Japanese scientists, <laughs> and it's just a wacky adventure that also just so happens to have a giant lobster and Godzilla fight yeah. at the same time. But they help Godzilla in that film, but and that's what makes it work. If the if the human stuff has nothing to do with Godzilla, that's bad. Right. If the human stuff is has stuff to do with Godzilla, but it's not well tuned, that's still it's better, but it still has the issues of like, do I give a fuck? Right. Which is what I think is the biggest issue with King of the Monsters to me. I agree. And King of the Monsters to me, in my opinion, King of the Monsters is my favorite solely because as a Godzilla fan. The fact that a giant American blockbuster film gave Godzilla, King Ghidorah, Rodan, and fucking Mothra all the same reverence and love and passion put behind them, and even emotional arcs at times for these fucking creatures, it's kind of astounding, and I also understand why it'll never happen again. But that's like the main reason why I like King of the Monsters, because it feels like Michael Doherty is obviously a fan. Obviously knows that, like, the criticisms from the first one was there's not enough monsters. Well, now there's four (laughs) big monsters. There's four. I think we see, what, eight or nine at a certain point? Maybe ten because there's the other Titans. Yeah, they get some cameos. And the story wasn't interesting enough. Well, we'll make the story bizarre and wacky and all over the place, but also pretty standard Godzilla fare where it's like eco-terrorists are trying to awaken the kaiju. Yeah, we've got some new pseudoscience machine uh, that ties into the monsters. Yeah, You've got Hollow Earth. You've got some ties from Kong Skull Island, which came out two years prior to King of the Monsters, which, you know, too long didn't read version of Kong Skull Island. is a fucking blast of a movie. It's really fun. The most approachable of the monster verse. Yeah, yeah, just but as it, a movie. It has very really very little of anything that you really need to see for this trilogy cuz Right, right. In terms of the continuity yeah. of the series, it's not a key player. Mm-hmm. Any introductions, inter, 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 any introductory stuff that's in Skull Island is just introduced again. They redo it, yeah. <laughs> in King of the Monsters and in Godzilla versus Kong. And with King of the Monsters, it is just the biggest issue with that film is there are too many characters and the emotional core with those characters is confusing and sloppy it, and really should just be tightened up so yeah, much. It also a lot of it it definitely heightens the emotion and the drama between the characters from the last movie, which is like in concept I appreciate because obviously like we just said 2014 is very emotionally dry. I think in King of the Monsters, the a lot of the emotional drama feels like it's distracting from the mm-hmm. monster stuff and the actual plot of what's going on. You know, you've got a lot of 
you know, a father and a daughter and an estranged or his estranged wife or whatever, yeah. you know, and they're they're yelling at each other and talking about family and all this stuff. Yeah. And it's like, isn't Godzilla, you know, tearing apart a city right now? Like, <laughs> the, yeah, the emotional know? core of the film, I think at its base, makes perfect sense for a Godzilla film where it's basically a family loses a son slash brother during the San Francisco attack in 2014. Yeah. And the father basically becomes an alcoholic and a recluse that becomes basically a looks like a Nat Geo photographer kind of. Yeah. And that while the mother goes into Monarch, which Monarch is basically the shield of Mon- of the MonsterVerse. Yeah, they're the kind of yeah. shady organization yeah. that's monitoring yeah. monsters and L- stuff. Kaiju keepers. So let's just yeah. call them that. But like, she basically becomes a eco terrorist to a degree because. She is just a woman in loss and believes that mankind is just so far gone that the only way we can make things better for this world and make a better Earth is to awaken all the fucking titans at once. And just let them kind of roll over humanity yeah. and let nature take its course. That alone sounds like a Godzilla plot. If you, yeah. I mean, that, I think hearing that the first time I was like, yep. That seems silly, but also I could see that working in like a Japanese Godzilla film. But the issue is definitely, to me, the biggest issue with that emotional core is the wife, uh, yeah, Vera Farmiga is Emma Russell. Vera Farmiga is great in the film. She does again similar to Brian Cranston and you know Elizabeth Olsen. She does a lot with what she's given. At the same time, though, as a character, you're obviously supposed to feel conflicted about her. You're supposed to be <laughs> like, oh my god, she's like. I, she's tragic. I don't see her really as a villain. It doesn't work. Yeah, I, she's, I, it's, just, she's so clearly yeah aligned. making a dumb decision. Yeah, like she should. She basically well, should not, have therapy. Yeah, but instead, not even she necessarily awakens. dumb so much as just clearly wrong. <laughs> yes. No. I mean, her clearly whole, morally bankrupt. Her whole environmental speech. Again, sounds like something I would have heard from a dub in a Godzilla film. <laughs> Not in a good and bad way, because it's like, oh, it's going to have an, an environmental message. I get that. Of course, eco-terrorists are involved with the plot in this film. But it's also the fact of, like, why you shouldn't be the one who instigates stuff. You're a mother in mourning. Yeah. And you decide that the best way you can bring your son back to a degree is to build the world from basically hellfire and brimstone from monster zero aka (laughs) king Ghidorah, to the point where in the film when it's revealed that king Ghidorah cannot be controlled anymore what a surprise she looks genuinely shocked but i think anyone watching the film just goes yeah you idiot yeah it's a three-headed dragon that has its own weather system follow him of course you can't control that and also it's the fact that like the other two family members Kyle Chandler and Millie Bobby Brown are just not really that well developed. I mean, Kyle Chandler, again, I mean, both Andy and I are in the Kyle Chandler fan club. We don't have one yet, but, like, if anyone asks us if we love Kyle Chandler, I will always say yes. Yeah. We're going to start the Kyle Chandler subreddit. For sure. I mean, there's got to be one. Maybe one day Uh, we'll get around to it. We'll do a Kyle Chandler trilogy. I don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about how much Kyle Chandler is wonderful in – uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong, as <laughs> you know, well maybe, as this. Maybe that's a series for the film, yeah. 
Maybe. Kyle Chandler the Appreciation <laughs> Series series of essays on Kyle Chandler's greatest contributions. <laughs> the to Kyle Chandler cinema. fan club films. <laughs> yeah. No, but he's you, definitely trying. Yeah. He's trying. No, he's, yeah. bring, he's swinging in this Because his whole thing is basically he also hates Godzilla, but you know what? He's not going to try and awaken other monsters because he hates Godzilla. Yeah. He, he is, hates Godzilla from yeah. a very human perspective. Yeah. He's, he, he's, he, he went inward emotionally and spiritually and maybe even physically to a degree while his wife just went full blast on a yeah. wild idea. And then there's their daughter, Millie Bobby Brown. And um, I think Madison, Madison, Madison Russell. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's Mark, Emma, and Madison yep. are the names. That's right. And here's the thing too. I think another thing that Michael Doherty does a great job with, and I think it was pretty clear with the casting in terms of this time around with the advertising. The Godzilla films are usually not the films I think that create stars. These are films that have really great ensembles of people who are not basically going to get any bigger from these films but have another big notch on their belt because this cast is incredible i mean you got kyle chandler bradley whitford thomas middleditch vera formiga charles dance Mm -hmm. millie bobby brown uh ken watanabe Watanabe. i mean silas stone from jack snyder's (laughs) justice league but you have so many people who are in this film and they all get at least maybe one or two lines or they're the main characters and they get maybe 15 to 20 lines in yeah. a two-hour film. And it's very clear after the whole backlash of the the initial Godzilla 2014 stuff where it's like, you know, they tricked us with Cranston. They're like, no, 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 we're not tricking you. Like, yeah. Millie Bobby Brown's a prominent part, but she's also not going to be the main character. There's at least, like, five. <laughs> yeah. But it is what it is. And it's like, yeah. But again, Millie Bobby Brown's in this film. She's here because of Stranger Things. And also because she's a good actress, but it's mainly because she has a fan base surrounding her. Right, right. Because she, you know, she killed it as Eleven in Stranger Things, and so she's here, and she's fine. There's no real reason why she should be here, but I don't hate her in this film. I honestly think there are other characters in this film I hate more than I could hate her. (laughs) I think the more I see her and go, eh, well, she could have less screen time. Yeah, it's kind of just like, okay, when's the next monster thing? Yeah, like her her big moment is I'm gonna steal my mom's echo locating. It's like whatever that device it's is, the, the orca. Yeah, the orca. It's like the the alpha call emitter. It yeah. produces an alpha call for every like, yeah, different titan, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, you're the boss now." It's, it's a kaiju caller, basically. Yeah, she's like, "I'm going to steal my mom's kaiju machine. I'm going to drive a." <laughs> A jeep into a baseball stadium. I think, and, and it's Fenway, right? Yeah, in Boston. It's Boston. I yeah. think it's. I, I hope we got this right. I'm sorry if it's not Fenway. Yeah, we love baseball. Yes, on odd trilogies. I too love first downs. But <laughs> when they when she goes to the baseball stadium, she puts the cords in to get King Ghidorah to come, and then she seems surprised when King Ghidorah shows up and tries yeah. to kill her. Yeah, and it's. It is, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, story-wise, again, I mean, I've had friends, I've had friends who've loved aspects of this film. I've had friends who have called me and talked about aspects of this film that they loathe. And my answer to both of them is, yeah, that's a Godzilla film. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's the thing is, again, there are nearly 30 Godzilla films total if you had both American and Japanese, including fucking anime films that came out while these films are coming out 
and th- the quality degree is so all over the place and also subjective. Yeah, even it's within like, a film. Yeah. It's like, can you believe they made a device called the Oxygen Destroyer? It was like, yeah, they did that in the first film. <laughs> it's not well used in this one, but it's a nod. Yeah, right. Can you believe they have Rodan? Ah, yeah, it's a Godzilla <laughs> film. He's got to fight something, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or like, I mean, I don't know. It, it, this is the type of film that I also understand why it's divisive and why it pr- didn't make a lot. It made a lot of money, but not enough money to be like a smash hit. Right. It made this right in the middle. It, I don't know if it was necessarily in the red, but it wasn't enough for Warner Brothers to praise its success. <laughs> it's just kind of like it happened. And it felt like hilariously after 2014 had a bunch of critical praise and the fans seemed to be iffy about it. It actually kind of almost well, evened yeah. out. Almost even out to a degree where it's like fans enjoyed it definitely a bit more and critics were confused about it. And I don't know. There's a friend of mine from college, uh, Aiden Hall, who is an, who's an anime fanatic and has uh, <laughs> has a YouTube channel, The Anime Academic. Definitely check him out if you like his stuff. But um, I, I thought about him a lot when rewatching King of the Monsters because he made a video called, around the time King of the Monsters came out, called The Kaiju Conundrum where it's basically like, yeah, if if Godzilla has dumb, stupid science that makes no sense, that's okay. It can yeah. be dumb. Yeah, it's okay if it's super serious and it's a a like hardcore grounded drama. That also has happened in Godzilla. Godzilla is so all over the place right. that it's understandable. But at the same time, if there's issues, there are issues <laughs> with this film. Yeah. Once again, it's and while this I is think- my favorite, I mean. Yeah, I think that was a thing I felt like I run it ran into after because I saw this. In, I know I saw this one in theaters with you and mm-hmm. Adam and everybody else. Oh my god, I will never forget that experience. I was I, that was <laughs> I'll never never if I ever forget like King of the Monsters was I was not the person that that was made for. I think that viewing experience solidified that for me because <laughs> I was I was in there with you and our friend Adam and you guys you know are way more into all of that than I am, and I totally get that. And looking back, after rewatching, I totally get why this movie won so many fans over, like Godzilla mm-hmm. fans. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was just like, I didn't even hate the movie, but it was like I felt very middled by it. I was like, yep, this is okay. There are parts I like and parts I really, really, really don't like. And afterward, not just from you guys but you know <laughs> i was sitting at the other end of the row from you guys and i could just hear the cheering and i was like man i wish i was having that good of a time um, i if i remember correctly because i will never forget that time either because the build-up for that film for adam and i was insane yeah, yeah. because that claire de lune trailer just i watched it 10 12 <laughs> times was like this is wild yeah. that this film is looking the way it is that it has so many monsters they even had a Monarch website that gave you fucking lore on, yeah, like, right, all right. the monsters and how long they've been in hibernation or stuff like that. And then we go to the theater. We see this in IMAX because, you know, Adam and I were both like, we have to see this in IMAX. I wonder if the others want to come along. And we all were like, oh, my God, a group of five. <laughs> I can't wait. We're all going to have a fun time. We're, like, 40 minutes in. To my right is two of my friends, or two of our friends, Sam and Jake. Sam's asleep. Uh, and he wakes up for a little bit and then gets pissed because the science doesn't make any sense. Jake is looking confounded, and it seems pretty clear that he's not really having a good time, but he doesn't hate it either. Yeah. And on the other side of Adam, you are also just kind of like, 
I had a headache. What, what is what is was... this going to be? <laughs> and then there's Adam right next to you and me, who was just like me, having an absolute yeah. fucking blast. Yeah. And I was like, well, this sucks that three out of the five of us are not having a great time. But at least Adam is enjoying it as much as yeah, I yeah. am. And yeah, that's the type of film this is. Like, I can genuinely see myself... I could definitely see showing this film to my girlfriend and being like, I just don't get it. And I'm like, yeah. that is 100% understandable. It's Well, I think there's there's just so much in this film for oh. for for people who love Godzilla and yeah. Kaiju and the, the history of the character and the cultural imprint he's left. Not you know. only is there a lot of that, they take time out of the movie oh which is why i understand why a lot of people have like issue with the pacing because a lot of those scenes just go like let me tell you about my family and that whole scene is just to basically say yeah the twin fairies from mothra (laughs) are canonical yeah which i'm in the theater going this is wild i never thought i'd see this and i'm not surprised that while i was thinking that you were probably like why the fuck is this happening right <laughs> yeah. now? No, yeah, you can't you can't overstate the value and the the I, how much respect I have for the people who made this movie, how much love and passion they poured into it. Oh yeah, and clearly made it as lovers of this you know subject matter for people of this of you know people who love this stuff as well, and that's great. And I want that I want that experience and. The only way, seemingly, to get that is to launch yourself headlong into that <laughs> culture and and watch those movies, which you know I'm still way behind. I think I've seen like half a dozen Godzilla movies, but um, it is that's the thing. But it's it's just interesting how th- that was just a fun or not not necessarily fun, but an interesting viewing experience. The five of us in that theater, just because you could see the the difference in perspectives that we were operating on, because like. I personally feel, and I still feel this way even after rewatching it, that like, if you're not gonna be picking up on all the passion and the love and the tributes and nods to previous films and the history of the character, I don't think there's a ton in this movie for you. It's pretty just straightforward. Just like it bogs down in the middle. It's a really ridiculous plot all the way through, and. Even when you think it's not going to take moments to be slow, it just is slow at random times. Yeah. And yeah, it's a very yeah. up and down kind of. Yeah, and that is and that is definitely an issue with this film, 100. percent I love the, this entertainment wise. It's a five out of five, but as <laughs> a, an actual film, it's not a five out of five. Yeah, but at the same time, it's hard not to watch, like, hear Bear McCreary score and just hear all the time the passion. It's just so weird to be like, I can't believe the guy who made the Walking Dead theme, like, made a gorgeous rendition of the Mothra theme. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they do a whole segment with Mothra being born, and, like, <laughs> they have, like, this gorgeous epic score that just feels like, they, they redid Go Go Godzilla for this film. Like, there's just so much silly shit in here that is, like, obviously... For diehards and also even casual fans of Godzilla to the point where it's like, yeah, I there's no way they can ever do this again. Yeah. And I but I and I appreciate them trying it. I appreciate and I appreciate Michael Doherty putting so much I mean, putting so much effort, both the cinema cinematography too. It's just astounding how because I think this film makes the kaiju look the scariest and the most godlike 
in the most insanely, ridiculously strong. Because after this point, like with Godzilla vs. Kong, it does feel very much like in that film it's a kid with two toys bashing them together. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing at all. The action scenes in Godzilla vs. Kong are the best ones we've gotten so far. That being said, though, I can't help but every time I see Ghidorah's silhouette in the clouds as there's lightning in the background, mm-hmm. I get a shiver. I get excited every time I see Godzilla. Godzilla in Atlantis. Like, Sarazawa's sacrifice. Like, they give time for a character that is not the main character in the first film, but is a important part. He gets his own he gets his own song. He gets his own moment. He he gets a moment that is like could bring people to tears in a Godzilla movie. Yeah. And it's like it's hard. It, it was not. It was hard not to think about it while rewatching it. Going, there's no way this could ever happen again. <laughs> like this, just insane. Like how much how much time is put into it, and it's a blessing and a curse for the film because of that. Yeah. Yeah, because it's definitely, and I, I actually, it, it reminds me of another movie, which I actually haven't seen, um, but just the, the discourse around it of, uh, like, kind of like Warcraft, where I felt, I felt like, I never saw it, but I felt like what I heard from other people and what I read about it was, it was just like, there's so much love for the source material there, and if you love the source material... Why wouldn't you love this? Because that's it's that's full actually of love. a pr- that's a great example you know, to bring up because if you're I not am, invested in that, yeah, you might really miss the train on this. Well, because yeah, I'm on the flip side of that coin with Warcraft, yeah. where I don't like Warcraft, but yeah. I was one of those people who went in wanted to love Warcraft, wanted to see this world that I had friends who put hours into WoW yeah. love so much, and that film does have that vibe. I feel like that film is worse on it probably like the, is like on an objective. I personally, objective yeah, level, I do. It's yeah, probably a worse movie, but, this, but also I'm more of a Godzilla than a Warcraft fan. Yeah. So, but and I do remember neither. Yeah, but <laughs> no, but it's like at the same time, it's hard to watch Warcraft and be like, my God, this just isn't made for me. Yeah, right. And that's a failure. But I think the difference too is Warcraft was supposed to be the first of many films. Yeah, and King of the Monsters thankfully waited until its second film to just. <laughs> dump all of this out there because right, right. if, if like godzilla king of the monsters was the first film absolutely would have never gotten another one because it's no. just like throwing way too much at an audience that is not that interested yeah because at that point it was godzilla 2014 kong skull island comes out kong skull island is silly and stupid and colorful and well directed and just a it's night and day almost to godzilla 2014 in places yeah and that's what people wanted and King of the Monsters isn't that. Right. So going into that, they're like, oh, man, this isn't Skull Island. It's like, yeah, well, no. It's Godzilla. Like, yeah. one of them's a monkey that's on an island who most of his films are he gets, like, drugged and brought to New York. Or yeah. or in the Japanese films, he fights Robocong or <laughs> Frankenstein's monster or some shit like that. And in this, it's like, Godzilla has been around for, six at that time, 60 years. Yeah. So, why, of course, they're going to dump so much down on it. And, yeah, it's one of those films where it's like, I when I, re, when I re-reviewed it on Letterboxd, I had friends who gave it, like, one and a half stars, two stars. Didn't like this movie. And I 100% get it. But I love this movie. And I will listen to the score mm. until I'm old as shit. I'll enjoy yeah. the moments in it. But it is too long, flawed in the human aspects. Well, and, and it seems... 
from my exposure to you know being online around a lot of a lot of Godzilla fans in various forums and that sort of thing, like it seems like if you really like Godzilla, you probably love that movie, and I think that's a great thing. I think that's a beautiful thing that you know um, we got a big-budget American rendition of the kind of Godzilla movie that Godzilla fans want to watch. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of people, I think it was a, it was a fulfillment of kind of, you know, it was a li- an experience of a lifetime mm-hmm. to watch that movie in theaters. And I think that's awesome, which kind of now looking back makes me a little bit sad about Godzilla vs. Kong. So what's really interesting about Godzilla vs. Kong is it cements the trilogy in a way that kind of almost feels like the sequel trilogy to Star Wars, where it's like Godzilla 2014, to a degree, almost feels like a return to form for Godzilla. Where it's like, most people who watch that film have probably never seen the original 54, but it's making it pretty clear it's not the 98 version. They're doing a more grounded, more interesting take that is more kind of subtle, more quiet, more of a disaster-type film. Right. And then the sequel just goes right into the deep end. Right. It goes right into the deep end, does a lot of weird shit. I mean, thankfully, to, thankfully, to King of the Monsters' credit, uh, it does not alienate the fan base that much, even though I love Last Jedi. But King of the Monsters takes a deep end, but critics and fans say that that's, it's not what they wanted still. Yeah. So going into Godzilla vs. Kong... Similar to Rise of Skywalker, it feels very much like they make changes. They they have these sets of rules. They now have two films in there. Like we need to do this. We need to maybe not mention this or cut this down. Yeah. And let's do this. And what we have is a just a meat and potatoes kaiju film. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's, cut yeah. and dry. Yeah. And then I mean, in a way, kind of like uh, the Pacific Rim sequel. It's like okay, let's chop down mm. all the. I hate that movie. No, <laughs> oh, but no, I know what you mean. Not, I mean, I I enjoyed Godzilla vs Kong, unlike Uprising, but mm-hmm. um, it feels kind of in that similar vein where it's just like, yeah, people don't want all this art crap in their Godzilla yeah. movie. Let's just have you know, let's just beat two action figures against each other and call yeah. it a day. And you know, in in just kind of a reactionary way, I think I actually enjoyed Godzilla vs. Kong more than I enjoyed King of the Monsters, but I can't help but feel like, you know, I would almost rather they keep making movies like <laughs> King of the Monsters that are going to make fans really happy and give them what they want out of a Godzilla movie, rather than, like, people like me, filthy casuals, going in and being like, you know what, Godzilla vs. Kong, that was Okay. I enjoyed that, but I'm not going to keep thinking about it. You know, and it's like I would rather people who love this stuff get something they love than an outsider like me come in here and be like, well, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> it is the thing about Godzilla fans, too. I mean, you was... are not all of one mind, definitely. No, yeah, but, but at the same time, too, is like when Godzilla vs. Kong was announced and the director was announced and the cast was announced, there was a part of me that knew we weren't getting King of the Monsters again. Right. Like, especially with the fact that it was like, well, they obviously had probably have to change some things around because the it, it's such a divisive film that it's like obviously they're going to try to do something different and that first trailer is absolutely something different and even though it does not feel at all like any of the marketing campaign stuff a lot of that's because it was supposed to come out in 2020 but gas leak year happened yeah. but it's the fact that Godzilla 2014 felt serious 
felt like it was supposed to be an intense drama with a giant lizard. Yeah. King of the Monsters felt like it was supposed to be an epic kaiju brawl that was going to shake up the universe, like Kevin yeah. Feige wanted to do with like all the Phase 2 <laughs> right, MCU right. films. Godzilla vs. Kong felt like an MMA fight. Pay-per-view yeah, commercial. Yeah, it was your Saturday night. Yeah. Sunday afternoon brawl. And I, um, and I still watch that trailer a few too many times, being like, oh, fuck, this is going to be fun. The Godzilla vs. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, like, even it, I mean, even the trailer is telling yeah. of... I mean, you can watch the three trailers for these three movies and see clearly how their priorities changed over these three movies. Absolutely. I mean, this third one, it's, you know, it's rap music, it's rock music, it's just shots of them punching each mm-hmm. other. It's like, okay, this is that's what this movie is. It's a, it it's was, a fight. It is a straightforward... Two hours bare less bones. Than two hours. It's like an hour and forty five minutes. It's like yeah, it's like it's like an hour. It's like one ten, like one hundred and ten minutes. It is a, it is a bone dry, straightforward brawl between Godzilla versus Kong with human elements that are so sparing. I'm surprised that anyone complains about them because by the time they almost overstay their welcome, they cut to another human yeah. or they just cut back to monster shit. Yeah, I really felt like, I mean, you could argue that the the human element was weaker in this film than King of the Monsters, but it also doesn't take up nearly as much time. Yeah, you know, no, it, it yeah. moves you along and it's kind of all of these characters are perfunctory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I felt like in both of the previous films... Yeah, the characters have a little more going on with them, but it's not interesting enough for me to want to spend more time on them. And so that is something I appreciated about this movie where it's like the the characters are just plot. You know, they're just moving you on to the next big scene. Yeah, the human characters don't have any real plot or arc to them. But it's the difference between a it's it's like the difference between like a student trying to go for an A plus and a student that goes for a C plus. Like, Godzilla versus Kong, I think, tries to go for a C-plus plot and yeah. gets about a C or a C-plus and right. goes, oh, we succeeded. Yeah. Well, as King of the Monsters is trying to be super engaging emotionally and try to be something that, like, people are going to really enjoy and then it just doesn't work that yeah, well. It, it misses the point. It misses the mark in places. And Godzilla versus Kong works in their favor with having so little. It works little, by having like, a lower standard, yeah. No, yeah, and, it's, and it makes sense where it's like, I can see Warner Brothers being like, you gotta cut most of the monarch shit. Like, if it's gonna make it longer, because like again, hilariously, like the Snyder cuts assembly cut. Yeah, it was five hours initially before they cut it down. But right. like, they cut it down to a an hour fifty three, being like, you just gotta, you gotta get to the point. I don't care if you have to cut some shit around and change some things. But it was a way where I think Wingard said, like, most of the MonsterVerse films, I think every one of the MonsterVerse films had about three weeks, maybe a month of reshoots. He had, like, three to four days. Yeah. Like, he didn't have to really reshoot a lot. I mean, I think his biggest issue was, in the initial the initial cut, Lance, had, Lance Reddick was supposed to be the director of Monarch, but they had to cut that Monarch <laughs> plot down to basically nothing. Yeah. So they just made Kyle Chandler the director of yeah. Monarch. Well, and, Kyle and there's, Chandler's like, one line. Got, Kyle Chandler's got, like... A minute and a half of screen time, and Lance yeah. Reddick gets one line. <laughs> yeah, like the two King of the Monsters characters that come back in this film, they're just, they look like they're there because they're contractually obligated, and they're just going to enjoy it for what it yeah. is. And it's fine. I mean, again, this is my least favorite MonsterVerse film, but that doesn't mean I hate it, because I don't. I enjoy, I've seen this movie twice. I enjoyed it both times. Yeah, no, I've seen it, weirdly enough, three times. This is your third time, yeah. <laughs> um, just a series of unexpected events led to me 
watching it multiple times. Um, and you know what? When we saw this on IMAX, I was late to the theater, and yeah. I had a question to myself. I've seen this film before. If I walk into the theater, am I really going to feel like I've missed out on anything? And as right. soon as I walked to the theater, I went, oh, yeah. And then right I just, here? like, it just didn't, that 15, <laughs> 10 to 15 minutes I yeah. missed just doesn't matter. Yeah. This movie is like a movie clips like movie. This is like when this film yeah. starts to get clips on YouTube, you can just which Well, the funny thing they're is they're already there. Yeah, but well, it's the funny thing is the movie itself already feels like if you go through on YouTube and click through the key clips of the movie, like yeah. that is the movie. No, the last the last 30 <laughs> to 45 minutes just feel like a straightforward fight. Yeah. It just is like going full steam ahead in all honesty. I think I said to you at this one point it feels like a universal ride. Like certain shots feel like oh you're on a roller gosh. coaster. Yeah, there's the scene where the they they're in that that Hollow Earth heave. Vehicle, the heave, yeah, yeah Hollow Earth, Earth aerial vehicle. Yeah, um, they come flying out of the hole that Godzilla carved into the Earth. Um, they come flying out <laughs> yeah. of it right into like Kong's face. Just by the by way, chance. spoilers in case you didn't know that already. We're gonna talk about spoilers yeah, about yeah, the yeah, film. Yeah. <laughs> um, they come flying in, fly all around Kong just about get knocked out of the sky and then they go crashing into a building which just happens to get lasered by Godzilla as they're in the building mm-hmm. fly down the beam of Godzilla's uh, nuke breath yep. and fly right over the top of Godzilla's forehead and it's just like oh my gosh this is the 4D ride at Universal Studios if yeah. I've ever seen one <laughs> it is a ride it is the type of film that it's like Hilariously enough, my family watched this, I think, uh, yeah, last weekend, and my sister is texting me going, Logan, can you please explain to me what's going on? I don't know what the fuck is going on. And then she goes, spoiler alert, oh shit, it's Mechagodzilla. Oh shit, it's Kong. They're fighting. They're best friends now. Okay, I guess I kind of understand now. Where it's like, the plot is pretty much, is not really it's not necessary in terms of enjoying the film and it's also even if you pay attention it's so straightforward and dumb that again feels like a godzilla plot Mm. where it's basically we need a power source and you alexander skarsgård you know how to get into the hollow earth the earth within the earth basically yeah yeah and this place might be the birthplace of kong and Kong, due to genetic memory, will take you there and you'll find the energy source. But wait, it turns out the energy source was for a Mecha Godzilla, right, yeah. which they powered with King Ghidorah's skulls. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what a shock! Mecha Godzilla becomes evil. <laughs> The funniest leap to me in this movie, of all the, you know, I hate to be the guy who complains about the pseudoscience in Godzilla movies, um, because there's, there's, there's no reason to, but, like, there, the there one thing more. I couldn't get over in, alright, not that I couldn't get over, but it just really stuck with me in Godzilla vs. Kong was when the heave people, Alexander Skarsgård and Rebecca Hall and all the Kong crew are down in the center of the <laughs> earth, and they're they're extracting the, like, energy mineral from the earth. I know what you're talking about, yeah. And then we cut to Hong Kong at the apex, the technology people, and they're just like getting signals from the mineral readings down there, and they're like, oh yeah, we have the power source now. Wait a a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You didn't need to extract the resource and bring it to the surface. You could just like take its coding? How does that work? From its pseudoscience, I'm assuming what what they tried to say 
is they could replicate the energy wave that they needed to power it. <laughs> right, but, like, how do no. you replicate an energy wave? Like, Andy, I, I don't know. Andy, I'm not a pseudoscientist. <laughs> I can't tell you how that shit it's happens. It's just, like, yeah, they, like, scan one of these kind of blue rocks that's down beneath the earth, and they, like, why, you know, they text it to the scientists on the surface and the scientists are just like okay cool we got the energy signature now we have unlimited power i don't know it is funny that in the original in the 2014 film the biggest scientific stuff is echolocation and radiation because the mutos eat radiation as much as godzilla does and they use echolocation to find the mutos as well as godzilla and then you cut to nearly a decade later in 2021 with Godzilla vs. Kong, and there are flying vehicles flying down a wormhole that goes a thousand miles per hour <laughs> into the middle of the Earth that is a gigantic, like, prehistoric-looking Earth that's just next to the core of Earth that apparently Kong came from because Skull Island used to... It is the type of film that is very much like it, yep, this I've heard weirder shit before in a Godzilla film. <laughs> I mean, Godzilla films are also the ones where it's like I, there's a Godzilla film where they time travel, yeah, and they find Godzilla's bones, <laughs> and I think they use Godzilla's bones to create a Mecha Godzilla nice, at one nice. point, or like I think at one point they time travel and they try to get Godzilla and they fail, and for some reason Mecha Ghidorah gets made instead of Mecha Godzilla, <laughs> and it's like it is just it's one of those things where I'm watching them going. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's funny because it's like, I watch it and I'm like, this is hilariously closer to a Roland Emmerich film than the <laughs> other two are, which is funny. Yeah. And at the same time, though, my I mean, my biggest issue with the film is the fact that, like, I went into it and I was like, I'm not expecting pieces of this film to be like, here are the other Toho monsters right. that you didn't hear about. I expected maybe a little bit of backstory, maybe a clever way to bring in Mechagodzilla, but literally every basic idea that you could think of, how do you bring this character in? How do you bring this character in? They just do that. Yeah. How does Mechagodzilla get brought in? He's just brought in. (laughs) How do they get Kong into the center of the Earth? There's a hole in Antarctica that'll get him there. Yeah, like they've already found all these pathways which is also the same area that they had monster zero but it's not the same station right but it doesn't matter (laughs) i mean the best part of that best best part of godzilla versus kong for me besides the action is hollow earth looks phenomenal and if they do anything else with the monster verse i'd love to be set there and i think that's what's going to happen i think if they do if they do another kong film it's going to be in hollow earth Mm mm-hmm and I think, I mean, Hollow Earth shit would be fun. A Hollow Earth TV series, a Hollow Earth, just like anything in Hollow Earth would be really fun. Yeah. At the same time, though, it is watching Godzilla vs. Kong, it is a very weak finale to this trilogy. Yeah. Because <laughs> it doesn't feel like anything has led up to this. It, it doesn't just feel kinda... like anything has led up to this. It also doesn't feel, like, it doesn't, it doesn't act like it's mm-hmm. any sort of culmination of anything. It doesn't even really seem to register mm-hmm. the significance, like, of... Godzilla versus King Kong, like as a cultural yeah. touchstone, it like, doesn't feel like what like you it, would think that movie would feel like. Yeah, like you know? King of the Monsters doesn't build anything up with Kong. It just says like, "Oh, Kong's on Skull Island," and fans were like, "What does that mean? Is he like fighting monsters on Skull? What is he doing during King of the Monsters?" And you find out he's just been in a Truman Show esque <laughs> dome yeah, for several years. A dome on him. 
Yeah, and he's just been a grumpy, grumpy ape because he's, he's like, been... I just want to leave, God damn it, let yeah. me go. And it's like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, the best part, I mean, the best character in the film is the is the is the little deaf girl Gia yeah Gia who talks to Kong yeah she's a native of Skull Island yes and her people get wiped out in a storm yeah which is again a nice little continuation from Skull Island where yeah. there is a storm surrounding Skull Island and it turns out the storm apparently is now just on Skull Island right and sadly kills all of her people but it's her her interactions with Kong leads to I think one of my favorite moments in the movie where it's like you find out Kong can speak through sign language yeah, and no one fun. knew yeah and it's it also leads to one of the funniest faces in the film where basically you cut to i think isaac gonzalez and alexander skarsgård and isa's like did that monkey just speak and alexander skarsgård just looks to the corner like he's having a vietnam flashback <laughs> game. holy shit that ape can talk yeah. <laughs> it's like it is just a it's a straightforward action film honestly i mean if it was like something that was hilariously released in the 90s it would have been a banger yeah like it would it would be i think it would be a banger in a normal year which it is a banger this year but if it came out last year if covid hadn't happened i think it would have done incredibly well yeah and so i think it and it has basically satisfied practically everyone yeah i mean the people who don't like it probably love king of the monsters to the point where it's like it wasn't king of the monsters too so i don't like it which is fair whatever but like at the same time it's like like you said at the very beginning of this podcast every one of these films has felt like it was going to be the last one yeah and if this was always going to be the intention to have a godzilla versus kong film and you're worried that people aren't going to go see it because king of the monsters was so divisive why don't you just make a straightforward like (laughs) brawl right and they fight four times it's nasty every time, and it's fun to watch. Yeah. Speak, and, yeah. Speaking of those fights, we should just sing the praises of the action in this. I feel like the action really delivers. Yeah. I mean, where yeah. everything else might fall short for you, I would imagine it'd be hard to deny the badassery of mm-hmm. the punching. <laughs> well, it doesn't bother me a lot. It doesn't bother me at all in King of the Monsters. It was very clear that Warner Brothers had heard people go like, why are all the fight scenes during snow or rain? And they went... We cannot have any fight scenes happen during <laughs> any kind of daylight. weather, day or night. That's yeah. the only weather, and it's like, yeah. no, okay. I, I was one of those. I feel that way about King of the Monsters. Mm-hmm. I felt like a lot of it was too obscured by the weather, and I know there's story reasons. I know Ghidorah creates hurricanes and shit, but yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, every I, I fight happens. Just, free, just appreciated. I think there was just a lot more movement and creativity in the mm-hmm. fight sequences here. It's just, it's shockingly fast. Like the action, which I didn't expect because, you know, we're used to seeing these kaiju look like they're moving in slow motion just because of how big they are, you Mm -hmm. know? And in this, I mean, Kong and Godzilla are just tackling each other into buildings full speed. It looks like you're watching a football game. Yeah. (laughs) This definitely has a bit of the uprising issue, quote unquote, where it's like they forget how big these guys are. But at the same time, you don't really care because it's fun. It's cool. And And the sound design works so well yeah. like you brought it up with one of our friends when you saw it the second time and i think the first time but there's a part in the final like the third fight where kong and his axe get, basically gets his axe into godzilla's leg godzilla picks it out of his leg and throws it and there's a whooshing sound as the axe is like flying <laughs> yeah. in the air 
and it's just like very satisfying to watch it hit things. Yeah. And it does, I think, do a genuinely decent job being like, this is a good toe-to-toe fight. Godzilla, I mean, is a radioactive lizard who yeah. should be able to kill Kong in one hit. But they do a great job of establishing the mobility of Kong. Yeah, his mobility definitely is, gives is him an advantage. Yes. He's definitely more creative and tactical on the mm-hmm. battlefield. Godzilla's just like... He's a brute. Yeah, I've got the power. I'm going to destroy you with it. And Kong's yeah. like, oh, misdirection. Let me throw a crane over your head so you turn around yeah. and then tackle you. Yeah, Godzilla's very much like a Tyson where it's like, I'm going to put all my bangers out initially. And if you're still up, i got to figure out what I have to yeah. do. Well, Kong is like Ali in terms of, like, I can just get hit yeah. several times. I'll wear you out. Yeah. I'll dance around But I have you. a hatchet now, so you're dead. <laughs> I mean, that's the trilogy. I mean, that's yeah, basically yeah, yeah. it. I mean, it's Godzilla vs. Kong. If you have HBO Max, definitely check the film out. It's a lot of fun. Even if you're not the hugest fan of it, I think there's enough good times here that it's worth a try, especially with HBO Max. Yeah. Like, it's... Uh, it makes it's I, I don't know what's going to happen after this year with HBO Max, especially the fact that it seems like it's alienated so many studios and actors. <laughs> yeah, that didn't ex- that didn't really want this deal to happen, but this deal seems to be doing incredibly well for yeah. them. And and the, and I mean, this is the first. Interestingly, they've they've I feel like so far have not had a strong showing in terms of like you know the, at the beginning of the year they were like okay all of our movies are coming to HBO Max. None of them have really been, like, great or, like, super well-received. No. Um, well, I mean, Judas and the Black Messiah is probably the only that's one. That's true. But, he, I mean, even that probably didn't do as well as they were hoping it would. Well, yeah, um, because that was that was a smaller film. Yeah. That, like, yeah. But if it, it was, if it, was like, it should yeah. have come out after the, Oscar, the nominees. Yeah. It definitely, like, it was just starting to get the feeling of, like, wait. Is this why you released them all on streaming? Because none of them are all that amazing. No, yeah, I mean, um, and I, you know, we're not, th- you know, we're not even halfway through the year. We're barely no. a quarter of the way through the year. There's still plenty of plenty with, of uh, movies I'm really excited for coming. But. Yeah, with with Mortal Kombat, with those who wish me dead, especially in the Heights in June too. Mm-hmm. It's obvious that like, oh, in the Suicide Squad, like it's very clear they have films. They were probably confident in all of them, but the thing is, is like. They were they were probably worried that we weren't going to recover as quickly as they wanted us to yeah. for COVID. Well, and we haven't. <laughs> now we really haven't. But at the same time, it's like Godzilla vs. Kong is the first time it seems like HBO Max has not only shown how it could help subscri- subscriptions on the platform as well as still make a good amount of money yeah. in theaters. And it'll be really interesting to see when this still keeps happening, when people are more and more vaccinated and people start to come to the theaters more and more. But yeah, I mean, Legendary's Godzilla trilogy is, honestly, it is not a disgrace to the Godzilla name. It is not an outlier to the Godzilla name. And if, in the most sincere thing to say about it that I think is a compliment, it is straight up Godzilla mm. through and through. After the Emmerich film, I think a lot of people, especially Toho, probably assumed that Americans couldn't do Godzilla well. (laughs) And I think these three films show that they have the pros and cons of Godzilla Godzilla franchise. And if you've never seen the films, we recommend them. I mean, rewatching them, they definitely drag. The first, both 2014 and King of the Monster drags a bit. Yeah. But I think they're both really fun. I mean, it was fun to go out of Godzilla vs. Kong. And your girlfriend, I was talking to her about Godzilla vs. Kong, and she was like, 
I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as King of the Monsters, but I feel like I enjoyed King of the Monsters a little bit more, mainly because you love you love seeing Mothra so much or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. And I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, Mothra is my girl. I'm always <laughs> I'm so ha- always always happy to see her. But yeah, yeah, I mean it's. It was it's fun to watch, especially if you add Kong Skull Island to that, because it's like Kong Skull Island is just a breath of fresh air mm. in that kind of thing, and not in a bad way yeah. to the Godzilla trilogy, but it definitely feels like ooh, this universe could really be anything if they wanted it to. <laughs> but yeah, that's Legendary's Godzilla trilogy. Um, Andy, do you want to talk about what we're doing next? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. What are we doing <laughs> next? <laughs> um, no, oh, oh, no. Oh. I, I mean, I can do it if you go, want me to. Go for it. Go for it. I remember so that. we are going to do in about two weeks. We are going to do the Mortal Kombat theatrical trilogy. We're going to do Mortal Kombat One, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, both the you know quote unquote, the '90s films that you know people both love and hate. <laughs> In honor of our third film in that trilogy going to be the newest HBO Max release at that time, Mortal Kombat. Until then, though, on April, is it it going to be the 17th? April 17th. Yes, because we're filming this live, so a week from now. um, We are going to do something in between the, the Mortal Kombat and the Godzilla trilogy and do something a little bit different. We are doing a trilogy that is entirely anime films. And before you leave, the explanation is there is a director who is in the Studio Ghibli Ghibli family who has kind of a rocky trilogy to attached to the name where, you know, they've, you know, Spirit Away is phenomenal. So many great films comes from that studio. But there is a director who has three interesting films with one that came out back in February that we think would be fun to talk about, and that is the films of Hayao Miyazaki's son, Goro Miyazaki. We're going to be talking about, in one episode, we're going to talk about Tales from the Earth Sea, From Up on Poppy Hill, and Earwig and the Witch. <laughs> These are all three films that if you have HBO Max, they're on there, and we would recommend if you wanted to watch them beforehand, that would be great. We are going to do that as well, obviously. <laughs> but um, they are... They're an interesting kind of history thing with Ghibli, Ghibli such Ghibli, mainly because of Goro's past, especially with his father, and the fact that like these three films are just vastly different from one another. Yeah, well, and the the third one, Earwig and the Witch, is marks the studio's first foray into three D animation, which which was met with. We are going to have a lot of fun opinions about that one, but um. <laughs> Tune in on April 17th when we talk about the films of Goro Miyazaki. But until then, my name is Logan Sowash. And I'm Andy Carr. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.